This podcast is brought to you by TeamTrade, a digital solution that helps you hire, optimize, and retain employees. Using psychometric assessments to identify more than 100 professional mindset traits, it gives instant reports you can use to build high-performing teams. Get two free profiles today, no commitment, no credit card required, at teamtrait.com. Team, T-R-A-I-T dot Welcome to the Manage Smarter Podcast with hosts C. Lee Smith and Audrey Strong. We're glad you're here for discussions on new ways to manage smarter, hire, develop, and retain talent, improve results, and propel team performance to new heights. This is the Manage Smarter Podcast. When you think about the workplace, Lee, do you think about psychological safety? And do you even know what a high-trust environment is? These are terms that I really wasn't all that familiar with. What are you saying there, Audrey? (laughs) Well, you know... No, but seriously, these are two very important topics we're going to talk about today. Mm, Absolutely. And welcome to Manage Smarter, everyone. I'm Audrey Strong. I'm the Vice President of Communications here at Sales Fuel. And I'm C. Lee Smith. I'm the CEO and founder of Sales Fuel. That's right. And Teresa Mitrovic is our guest today. Boy, she's a heavy hitter when it comes to these two topics. She is the founder of the Oro Collective, also a consultant, coach, course creator, and author specializing in performance, psychological safety, and trust. In her past life as a corporate leader, when the increasing demands of senior leadership clashed with single parenthood, coaching as a leader was the solution. And with workloads reset, team cohesion and alignment game performance improved and profit tripled. Well, that's pretty darn good. That worked out well, didn't it, Teresa? <laughs> um, she has lived and worked internationally, <laughs> delivering keynotes and workshops to clients large and small. Small, author of the book, The Currency of Connection, How Trust Transform Life, Relationships, and Work, live to our show all the way from Australia. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Audrey and Lee. So Lee, Great go ahead. You wanted yeah. the first bite of the I apple did. on Excellent. this one. No, so, so it's a three-porter, actually. So psychological safety, what is it? How come I don't have it? How can I get it? That's probably the three things that are that, that, that people that are tuning in are, are thinking right now. Sure, sure. So let's start with the easy bit, which is what is psychological safety? So we know psychological safety as be, having, being the ability to speak up freely and express ourselves without the fear of being judged or of it being, causing any harm to ourselves or others. So it, it's that sense of being able to speak freely without judgment. Um, I take it a, a, a step further and... Well, actually, by going back to the basics, which is saying that we understand after the last few years what safety really means, right? We have this deeply visceral experience of what safety looks and feels like for each of us individually and collectively as teams and within organisations. Psychologically, psychological simply means what's going on in our mind and emotionally. So if we think about those two words independently, so what's happening mentally and emotionally for us, what is our, you know, what's happening in our mind, What does our emotional landscape look like and how safe do we feel? That then starts to throw up a different way of looking at it, which I think is more helpful for going forward after, basically in the post-2020 world, I think taking it back to those basics and thinking, hey, what creates creates an environment of safety around us from from a mental and emotional perspective so that the energy that we would spend trying to keep ourselves safe, we are able to reinvest and connecting with others and doing the work because we only have so much energy, right? And we're either investing it in protecting ourselves if we don't feel psychologically safe or in connecting with others if we do. And so that's how I look at psychological safety. 
Um, yeah, the next question you ask is, why don't you have it? <laughs> how do I get it? <laughs> and then yeah, how can I get it? Why do you have it? Yeah. How do you get it right? And look, let's let's be honest. A lot of us as managers and leaders, and certainly through my 18 years in corporate life, we're always trying to get it right. We're always trying mm-hmm. to create this environment where our team members feel safe so that they can completely lean in and, and invest all their thought and energy into doing really great constructive work, not kind of protecting and, and self-preservation. The reason we we struggle to get there is because despite our best efforts, we're all human. And if we're not feeling uh, grounded and and kind of really clear in our own thoughts and our own uh, direction of travel, then it's really hard to create that for the team around us as well. And most of us as managers haven't had training in how to be a manager, let alone, you know, let alone do it well in a way that actually inspires human performance. So what we're taught often around management and leadership, traditionally at least, has always been very operationally based, right? So it's always linear. It's always really clean. So, you know, it's A to B and, and how you get there. And that's not how humans work. So the reason we don't have it is because no one's done a really great job of saying, actually, you guys are no longer working with machines. You're working with humans. Mm-hmm. They're organisms, not machines. And therefore, they need a different approach. Um, and what we're just realizing now, I think, from a much wider perspective, is if people don't feel psychologically safe, they don't feel able to trust each other in the work environment or to trust their leaders, and therefore they don't perform to their best effort. So if, if a leader wants a, a team to perform like humans, they want to create a human environment, they want everyone to be able to do their best, then creating this environment where people feel psychologically safe so that they can trust each other, then performance becomes quite natural. So you're, it's not it's not linear. It's kind of it's simple, but it's not linear. It's quite complex. Yeah, we, we like complex. we like things to be clean and buttoned up and you know, everything like that. And the human psyche is messy. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And look, I'll give you an example, right? So, so many of the leaders that I work with, and I know I was guilty of this as well, is we say, "Hey, guys, we you know it's really important that you tell us that you share your views. As, you know, this is the idea that I've got. Or this is these are the goals that we have. What are your thoughts around how we get there?" And then someone will pipe up, you know, some bold individual will go first and we'll go, oh, no, that's ridiculous. We've tried that already. And what we do then is we kind of, we, we commit those cardinal sin of building trust, which is we immediately, in, in that one sentence, we're telling people that we're not listening to them mm-hmm. and their opinion doesn't matter. And so please don't say that again. And we just shut and them that, down. We shut them down. And that sends a really strong message to the rest of the people around the table. Right. So what I say to leaders is if you hear something, once you've invited and it's it's natural human instinct, right, we respond. Um, What we need to do as leaders is listen with curiosity and listen to engage rather than listen to reload or listen to be right. So uh, what I said, leaders, is one of the easiest things to do is to say, hey, thanks for going first. Uh, Tell me more about that. Or we've tried that before and it didn't work. Then I'm really curious about why, um, about what you think we could change this time around to make sure that that does work. So draw people out. Um, and the more your team see you doing that, the safer they feel to speak up. And then you start to create this habit, right? So really what we're seeing at the moment is a need for leaders to be able to facilitate those environments and those conversations rather than having to lead them and be directive around them. Those, those, those phrases you just use and the way you went at that and responding 
really neutralize the tension in the room. It's like taking out a little neutralization gun and going pew, you know, and then whatever. So that the Are person you sure who that's said how the neutralization that gun goes. Are feels you safe, you know, and but one of the questions that as I was reading was, you know, you talk about tensions among team members or tensions among leaders in their reports or managing up to the show, C-suite show. that this is a neutralization technique of tensions. And my, then, then my, that begs the question, everything you just said is, okay, how do I sustain this over a very long period of time when I have different people coming in and out, I have turnover or, and I mm-hmm. might have a negative Nelly. I might have somebody who's just negatively wired in general. Mm-hmm. What, do, mm-hmm. how do you handle it in perpetuity? That's such a good question because that's real, right? That's what we're yeah. dealing with. Um, so when I was working in London, and so the interesting thing is when I was working in London, I, I used to work around high-performing teams. In New Zealand, the, the, the language changed to dysfunctional teams. And I think in the in the US, you kind of get a hybrid of both. But, but what's interesting is you do always, you usually have one person in a team at least who's more outspoken, who is more... Um, I was going to say aggressive, but just kind of more more vocal, assertive. right? Like more assertive. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's, let's Said the assertive one. Yes. Yeah. Spectrum. <laughs> yeah. Um, so and and so it's important to know how to deal with that. And there is, as a leader, you've got to recognise the difference between someone who is, um, who has the the competence and the desire, but not the motive, but, but isn't isn't a great team member or actually just wants to be right because mm-hmm. you can't always fix that and that can be that can actually be quite corrosive for a team so you've got to be really careful about the people that you have working in a team environment together um people who are people who want to be right are great in very uh, isolated kind of sole operation roles but in a team you need people to be able to listen to each other to hear each other otherwise you cannot sustain that trust so in terms of long term there are two things that you need to be conscious of one is that as a leader you've got to be constantly watching and alert to signs that people are either uh, psychologically safe or not and you can do that by noticing how they are engaging right okay, so we can't say, see yeah. We, yeah like yeah, we, can, we can't see signs? inside someone's yeah. so the signs are uh, look for signs that, that people are either connecting or protecting so that's how you can recognize psychological safety are they leaning in or are they pulling back are they speaking up are they, are they withholding um, what does their body language tell you? So you can tell by by their body language what they're saying and what they're not saying, and also the language that they're using. Right? Are they being curious or judgmental with their language? So you can see. So those are your signs of connectional protection that tells you about psychological safety. How engaged people are tells you about the trust levels. So if people really care about the organisation, they're leaning in and they and they they are trying. Even if they fail, they're trying. So they're trusting you to to give them some advice if they if they. Um, if they step up in a meeting or if they put together a, pr- a presentation for you, they are they're putting their best foot forward, they're investing a degree of trust. And so as a leader, you've got to be conscious about how you respond to that. So the two parts are really, you know, from, from a leadership perspective, you need to be facilitating this trust environment and acknowledging the stuff that's going right. So if, if someone speaks up, acknowledging that and saying, well, wow, that sounds like it was that was probably a really difficult thing to say, or it was difficult to go first, or I appreciate you know, if someone brings up something really difficult, saying it's really important, you know, thanks for thanks for calling out the elephant in the room. Is anyone else feeling that way? And kind of neutralizing, but also putting everyone on the, you know, getting people on the same page and letting people know that if someone else asks a question, there's usually someone else in the room that's got that question as well. And they're yes. sitting on it because they don't feel safe to speak up, right? 
So you've got to encourage that team dynamic constantly. So every meeting is an opportunity, every team um, meeting, every team lunch, every team experience is an opportunity to continue to reinforce and facilitate that kind of uh, communication within the team. And as a leader, it's about paying attention to that facilitation from the team, but also to your individual who is really extroverted or really like can't help. And look, I do this as well. I'm so extroverted, but I'm doing it now, right? I talk and talk and talk. And you guys are sitting there patiently, you know, quietly, very politely listening. But um, but you've got to be really careful that someone's energy doesn't overwhelm the room and prevent other people from speaking up. Mm. So you've got, and you can do that in the team by saying things like, I love that you always go first, Therese. You've always got so much energy. Um, hold that for a moment and, and let's see what the other, some of the other people on the team think as well. And um, and then we'll all, you know, we'll wrap this up and, and, and see whether see where we agree and where we disagree and, and what this looks like going forward. But you can kind of call people out gently like that and say, Yeah, I know Teresa speaks a lot and she's got a lot of energy. Um, and that's useful in some respects. <clears throat> and it's it's useful um, when we need to get energy into the team. But when we need lots of voices, we need to be able to dial that down a little bit to let the other voices come through. Um, when you do have a really difficult team member, it's important to take them aside and just check on their psychological safety. So that's when psychological safety becomes more of a, of a focus for a leader. If you see someone who's who's behaving in a really aggressive or assertive or protective way consistently, have a side conversation with them and just check in on how they're doing, what's going on for them, mm-hmm. and um, and where you might be able to help them to find greater safety or security or what you can do to help make their work life a little bit easier so that they can re-inhabit that space of being a high-functioning team member. Along those lines, um, how does a manager or leader deal with somebody who just can't trust other people? Maybe it's the way they're wired. Maybe it's something that's happened in their past or some sort of trauma that they're carrying around. But it's like, nonetheless, though, it's like you've got somebody on the team then that either doesn't trust you, doesn't trust other people. Uh, How do you develop that psychological safety, uh, you know, with somebody like that? So um, it's funny when you were, I'm saying it's funny. It, it's not a funny subject, right? Because it's a really serious subject. And we often, you know, we don't have the, the, the luxury of working with people who always trust us. So we do have to sometimes work inordinately hard to build that. The short answer is think of it like the work equivalent of dating. Let it build slowly. And how you build it is you, 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 there are four different, the way I talk to people about building trust is there are four different components. There is who, who you are at the level of capability and who you are at the level of character. So character is about connection and, um, and credibility. So do you actually care about other people? So if you ask their opinion, are you actually asking because you want to hear it or are you asking so that you can prove how right you are? And credibility is can people rely on you? Like, do they know that if you say something, you're going to follow through? And any of us who have been to a workshop, like to a retreat where we've had an incredible team workshop and everyone feels like they've done great great work, they've really expressed themselves, they've co-created something and they go back to the office and nothing changes, that's a hit against credibility for the leader, right? So that's on the character side. That's how, that, that's how we telegraph to, to, to our team who we are as a leader, a character. The competence side is around, uh, well, the capability side is around your competence, and your consistency. So what do your leadership strengths look like and how consistently are you are you showing up with those or are you a bit of a Jekyll and a Hyde? Are you, some, you know, when you're great, you're really good and when you're bad, you're a bit of a tyrant as a leader or, or, or as a business partner. Um, so understanding that those are four different ways that you work towards building trust 
and thinking about what if if I was if I so see Lee if you and I were talking were working together and you didn't trust me I'd be thinking about how I'm demonstrating all of those four components in my relationship with you so how am I showing up as the most capable person or competent person um, in this in the in, within the scope of our relationship and what you're expecting from me, how can I demonstrate to you my competence? How can I be really consistent in how I'm showing up with you? How can I be, how can I demonstrate credibility by always doing what I say I'm going to do? And how do I show you that I care? You know, that I care about your opinion, that I care about you as a human being, that mm-hmm. we're here to co-create. You're not here to do my bidding. And some, and, and here's the thing, it's, and I'm really glad that you asked the question, Lee, because psych safety uh, the reason I talked to the leaders about focusing on trust, like recognizing the signs of psychological safety, but thinking about building trust, is because you can't, you can try and make, you know, you can try and create an environment that allows people to feel psychologically safer. But psych safety is a construct of our entire life history up until that point, plus what's going on for us on that day. So my background, like I have a deep, I have some really intimate experience with, um, with deep sort of traumatic stuff, right? So I'm no stranger to adversity and trauma. And so I know that the way that I show up and, and the way that I that I trust people and how long it takes me to trust people is different than what it might be if I'd grown up in a really safe household and a real you know had had a really safe marriage the first time around. Those, those kinds of things. You, so it, those experiences do impact us, right? And so some people do are naturally hardwired to to protect themselves more from the outside world because they, the, their experience has conditioned them to believe that they're not safe. And so and whilst really they can't do anything to repair that or, or, um, or mitigate that for an individual because that's beyond the scope of any leadership's remit, right? What the leader can do is create a safe working environment for that person to be in where they are seen and acknowledged and valued for the work that they do. And it seems that this points to retention because, of course, you're happier, you're happy in the workplace, you're feeling more productive and all that. One of the things that Lee and I were interested in was this question that you have here about um, performance reviews being a distraction, not being helpful after you've created, you know, a high trust environment. You want to talk about why that doesn't work? It's Sure. Sure. So, yeah. So the the. The old model of doing performance reviews and performance management is it tends to be, so performance management is by exception and performance reviews are usually biannual or annual. In any other sphere of life, if someone wasn't, if if something wasn't working, we wouldn't wait six months or 12 months to tell them about it, right? We would tell them when it happens. If you think about as a parent, when we raise kids, I don't know if you guys are parents, but when you raise a kid, Mm -hmm. if they've got their feet up on the sofa and you don't want them to do that, you don't wait three months to tell them to get their feet off the sofa. You say to them, hey, and you don't say get your feet off the sofa. You say, can you put your feet on the floor? You ask for what you want, right? No, we sketch out a little note and we put it in their file and we bring it up. (laughs) 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 Try to remember how we felt about that. We sit on, we stew about it. We, yeah. So, so the best thing to do is to think about it. Um, so rather than thinking I'm managing the performance and, I'm, and I've got these windows every six to 12 months where I can talk to them about it, talk to them about, talk to your team about performance constantly. So the new model is simply this. Do pay attention to your one-to-ones, do set up team meetings and make those your conversations about performance. Take a performance partnership um, leadership approach with your team where you say to them, my job as a leader is to set the North Star, tell you what the, what the boundaries are or the constraints to us being able to achieve that, 
and then to create the path and give you guys give you guys the support, the access, and the development that you need to be as successful as you can to meet or or exceed those goals. So the new way is little and often, not a lot, but very infrequently. Seems more efficient to me. Mm-hmm. And you know what? The, the other thing it does, Audrey, is it it, uh, it neutralizes the room again because if you're annoyed about something, you get to have a conversation about it, right? So, so to Lee's point earlier, you're not kind of sitting on things and and like things never have a chance to build up because mm-hmm. you're addressing them at a time when they matter. My last question for you is, is is this: like when you have trust, but that trust is broken somehow, un- unintentionally, of course. It's like, can you ever get it back? Uh, you can if the other person is open to that, and you can't if they're not. So there are different levels of breaches of trust, right? If you um, if you've breached trust in a way that really undermines someone's value system or what they stand for, then you're going to have a really hard time. Um, but if the other person is willing, then yes, it goes back to those those four components of trust building. Um, and the first thing that you do is you own up to what what's happened. And you say, and you and you own your role in the breakdown, and you state your intent to improve it and to do the work that's required to improve it. Because it's a, it's about uh, the thing about trust is we have to see it to believe it, right? Hearing it isn't enough. We need to see it to believe it. Because our brains and our emotion, our brains and our emotions are smarter than just being shown something or being given gifts. We need to see it. Actually, it needs to be. Uh, a norm in our relationship dynamic before we believe that it's true. I've always said that trust is a very precious thing and you don't realize mm-hmm. how precious and valuable it is until it's gone. And um, right. I like you yeah. have personal experience with some of that. And it's like, wow, you know, you, you, when it you wasn't me, it, you by know. the way, just for the record, it yeah. wasn't me. It <laughs> no, wasn't no, no. <laughs> About my first husband, the, the, my first marriage. So there, there, I yeah. said it too. There you go. When you, yeah. so, all right. <laughs> just get it. It's, but it's true, right? So often yeah. we, the, the thing, the thing for, I think for all of us as human beings is that our lives revolve around relationships and no one's ever really done a great job of explaining mm-hmm. to us how to build trust in these relationships to make our lives easier. So we carry around all this, um, this doubt, this, this, this strain, this extra weight, because we're not, we're not making sure that we've got high trust relationships. Um yeah. So I think, like like you, Audrey, you, when you don't have trust, you feel it. Oh yeah, you really feel it, sure. and you know it's absent. So we need to, we just need to get better at showing people how to how to build it and and make it a consistent like make it a cultural norm and make it a relationship norm. Well, your website is oralcollective.space. and then I'll put all your social media in the show notes, including a link to the oralcollective.space slash manage smarter for our listeners and you have kind of a thing that you want to offer to folks. So go ahead and explain that to me. Sure. So, so um, yeah. So um, I put together um, some, some discounts on a couple of the products that we have. So we've talked a little bit about partnering for, for performance on this, in this conversation. Um, what I've got in there is a guide around partnering for performance and it's a complete walkthrough. So you, you get all the tools, you get me kind of walking you through how they all work and how you can use them to start to create rapid change in, in the team. And then there's also a 30-day team reset, which is kind of, it's the impatient person's guide to how to create a high-performing, high-trust environment in your team in 30 days. So um, both of those things are listed there with a special discount for listeners if they want to see how this works in practice. Fantastic. 
Teresa, thank you so much. This has been very interesting. Thank you for having me, Audrey. And Lee, it's been wonderful to work with you both this morning. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend on iTunes, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more great information at salesfuel.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.